Welcome to the bonus episode of The Real Demons of Pop Culture. I am Dr. J, also known as James Ippolitti, and I invited Frankie Castanilla, author of Spells for Change, A Guide for Modern Witches, onto the show to talk about witchcraft, witchcraft in movies and spells and all that good stuff. It's a great book. You can find it. I'll put the book link in the show notes so you can pick it up for yourself. It's a great book to get you started, get you into witchcraft, into spellcasting. The book is very inclusive, so it's not a gatekeeping witchcrafty book. I think it's good for anybody who has a, maybe even if you have just a little bit of knowledge, but you want to extend that knowledge, or if you have no knowledge, it's also great. And if you do have some knowledge or quite a bit of it, it's a great resource to use to check up on certain things. So I think it should be in anybody's uh, library. I want to also say that this is Frankie's practice. And we talk about the way they practice. And that doesn't mean that you have to follow everything or agree with everything that Frankie says. They have their version. You can have yours. And I think the book is very clear on that. But I wanted to bring that up because I know that some of this stuff could be controversial. You might feel that what Frankie says is not the way you think some things are. And I think they are very clear about how they have their practice, but other people have the way they do things. That's okay. And I want you to feel like this is just informational. I want the real demons of pop culture to not only talk about demons and witches and all that stuff that is in our TVs and movies and books, but also to educate you on kind of how it is in the real world. What are these things look like in the real world versus what it looks like on our television screens or our iPhone screens. And I want to have guests come on. This is going to be hopefully a recurring thing where I bring in guests to talk about a specific subject to sort of uh, bring the mystical, wild stuff a little bit down to earth so we have a good place uh, of understanding and acceptance of these things. I think that a lot of people are scared off of some things because of maybe what they saw on the media, and that necessarily isn't the truth, and I want that to be something that we're learning when we're learning about this stuff. And I've done it in all my episodes, you know, hey, like, this is what they say, this Hecate is a demon, but it's not true, you know? Uh, why is this person considered a demon? So hopefully what these episodes do is to get you the spark, that curiosity to get you to learn and keep learning because the more we know, the better we are as a people, as a society, um, and we don't just hear something and say, oh, uh, witch- witchcraft is evil, burn them, you know? Because that's, that's why we always ended up in these really bad situations is because of the ignorance towards what actually it is. And we need to really learn the history and be accepting of everyone's thoughts about things, but not necessarily feel like that has to be yours also. I'm not going to ramble on much longer because this is about an hour-long interview, but it's a lot of fun. I really appreciate Frankie coming on the show. Check out their book. 
And without any further ado, let's get into the interview with Frankie Castanilla, author of Spells for Change, a guide for modern witches. It burns! Oh, it burns! They're coming to get you, Barbara. Your soul. Hello, and welcome to the Real Demons of Pop Culture. I am James Ippolitti, and my guest today is Frankie Castanilla. Is that said right? Yeah, that's yeah, right. <laughs> All right, I just want to make sure. You're more commonly known as the Chaotic Witch Anne. And mm-hmm. for has it been six or seven years you've been labeling yourself as a witch? I definitely lost count. I think we're going to go with six. (laughs) Okay. So you have, well, probably almost close to a million and a half followers now on TikTok, which is unbelievable. And you are a folk witch, eclectic folk witch. We're going to get into that. And the perfect person, I believe, to talk about witches in pop culture. And that's why I invited you on, Frankie. So thank you so much. And you also have a podcast. It's Books and Broomsticks. Yes, and I run I, it with my co-host, Matt. Matt, I just listened to your haunted items. And why were you so, sort of against haunted items? I both love and hate haunted items because I think a lot of the items that are sold as haunted aren't actually haunted. Right. I feel like anyone can log on eBay and is like this box is haunted and it's not. Um, I also have bought quite a few haunted items in my day and they've always messed with me a bit. (laughs) They've messed with you like literally like stuff you believe they really were haunted. No, they kind of just gave off bad vibes. Oh, okay. Okay. So yeah. Cause I loved your, your episode with Annabelle. I thought that was really funny. Um, I also believe the Warrens are hoaxes. Um, so, uh, but, but just the, your reaction to the Annabelle was, was hilarious to me. Just the idea, like, you know, the guy on the motorcycle who died after touching it. And you're like, wait a minute, how does that work? Just, that- yeah, well, I'm like, it's a, it's a doll. I feel like I'm going to, I'm still very superstitious. So I'm going to word how I say this carefully. I feel like if you're going to be disrespectful to something like the Annabelle doll, something bad is going to happen. That's my like superstition, my witchy stuff kicking in. But at the same time, it's a doll. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I don't, I don't buy into Annabelle at all. Um, Mm -hmm. Just because the connection to the Warrens, because um, they're also associated. I had an episode I did on Amityville horror and they are the ones who quote unquote investigated it. And uh, that has been, that's another one which I'm sort of sketchy about. But let's get back to you, and I want to know about your upbringing when it comes to religion. How were you brought up? Were you religious? That's a really good question. Um, so I wasn't necessarily brought up in a specific religion. I am baptized, but we only went to church maybe a couple times when I was growing up, and my mom has always been very kind of like, spiritually inclined, I'll call it. 
very much into nature, nature as like a deity. Um, and I think that contributed a lot to me becoming a witch uh-huh. <laughs> because I already had that kind of environmentally inclined vibe. My, you know, my grandparents on both sides are either Baptist or Catholic. Mm -hmm. Um, So I have like, there's some like little bits and pieces of it kind of there. Like I'm not going to be, I I once wore a t-shirt with like Jesus Christ upside down on it. My mom was like, that's horrific. Right. But so like, there's a little element of like, my mom was raised Catholic, so she doesn't like when things are disrespectful to Catholicism. But at the same time, she's not Catholic. Yeah. It's kind of. Yeah. Cause I, I was I, raised yeah. Catholic. So I, I was the reason why I brought this up is because I think a lot of people raised in Christianity, especially, but I'm sure other religions uh, have a hard time leaving those Ooh, yeah. sort of uh, thoughts. And when witchcraft, um, and which I want to get into, when, when we're talking about TV, books, movies, witchcraft has been demonized. Mm-hmm. And it's not like if you're raised Catholic and you start practice, practicing witchcraft, you're basically doing the devil's work, you know? And I, I was curious if that was ever a struggle for you to get into witchcraft. Was there any thoughts like, oh my God, this is like really bad that's a really good question i would say no which is really interesting because and i think part of that is because my mom worked so hard to divorce from the catholic school of thought and raising us um but you know there are definitely things that i still almost like i kind of stay away from within the witchcraft sphere um just because of how i was raised (laughs) i don't i like I'm pro baneful magic, so I'm okay with hexes, curses, and jinxes, but I don't tend to do them a lot because there's still a level for me that, you know, makes me uncomfortable with them, and I acknowledge that. Um, And the thing with baneful magic is it comes always from a place of need. People would use it uh, to get a foot up against oppressors. trying to think what else I also I don't like I'm not going to work with demons some people do and that is cool and very chill but I I think I I'm I'm not I'm not set to work with demons oh, let's stop for a second let's define your word uh demons so mm-hmm. what would you decide is a demon that you're not working with because a lot of people might say that a lot of them aren't there isn't a reason you wouldn't want to work with them That's a really good question. I consider demons to be goetic demons and biblical demons. Okay. And the reason I do that is because I kind of work with the saints as like a a little bit of a folk Catholic approach. Okay. And for me, those two don't go together. They may go together for some, but for me, I'm like, I can't invite Satan into my room if St. Anthony's right there. Um, Yeah, that would be some scene. (laughs) <laughs> I just I just like thinking about sometimes I'm like what would it what would happen would my room explode mm. um I don't know they probably 
I, I it's ahead. fascinating to me the Catholicism part of it being inviting these Catholic saints. Like I said, with with your background, mm-hmm. how did you how did you like see saints growing up? Like because that's a very different way of thinking about Catholicism and saints. Like most people will have some kind of yeah. thing. Like I even read that you have a rosary and you do novena. Like it's very Catholic centric. Mm-hmm. So the folk Catholic approach came about primarily in reconnecting with like Italian folk magic, which is what my ancestors did. And now modern day Italy, there's a lot more kind of a pagan approach in folk magic. Um, So I mix paganism and Catholicism, which is the thing that like makes me not a Catholic because I hang out with Diana on the weekends. Yeah. Um, But I originally was really uncomfortable with the idea of working with saints because I see witchcraft or I saw witchcraft as it's, I still see witchcraft as a pushback against dominant religions most of the time, whereas folk magic is almost always intertwined with the dominant religion. Um, So when I say I'm a folk witch, my witchcraft and my folk magic are kind of separate. I'm a witch, but I also practice folk magic. Um, What's the difference? It's really confusing. Oh, good question. I love this question. Uh, witchcraft from a historical standpoint has always kind of been the work of the other, whereas folk magic survived by syncretizing into whatever the people needed. We have witchcraft as the other and folk magic as magic of the people. They can like intertwined, but when we look at a historical standpoint, folk practitioners would never call themselves witches because the witches were the bad thing. Yeah. When we look at Italian folk magic, you hear stories of like the witches at the tree of Benevento or the walnut tree, um, making packs with the devil. And so that feeds into the media perception of witchcraft. A hundred percent is like witchcraft's being witchcraft which which is being evil and always working with the devil and folk magic being magic and what nowadays we would look at and say that's witchcraft but no one actually would say it was witchcraft yeah it sounds so it, like in history a lot of events or holidays that were pagan where then the dominant religion would suck it up and now it's no longer the Saturnalia, it's Christmas, you know, so we have all these different mm-hmm. things. It sounds like a lot of the folk practices that might have been pagan, but not necessarily witchy, got mm-hmm. sucked up into dominant religions and that's yes. how they used it. But then through the exposure on television and all that, we get to kind of going back to everything magic is witch. Mm-hmm. And, and speaking of that, growing up, did you feel this way a lot or was it Harry Potter or was there something that came along that you're like, I want to get into this? I talked to trees when I was a kid. Um, That was part of it. I was like very much convinced that the tree in the backyard and I had like a relationship, like a friendship. And like, I cried when it was cut down. 
Um, I also was very into like fairies, which I'm no longer into, but I did like midsummer celebrations with tiny little walnuts filled with like cream. Um, and for me, nature was always very big. Like I was always talking to the trees. I always loved being outside and that has transferred over into like worship of Diana because to me, Diana is nature, the forest, the wild, also the crossroads. Um, and that's kind of how I got into everything is through seeing signs around me by way of animals, by way of like nature and being like, this feels a little I'm like this. This is, I think this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And at what point did you bring it online? Mm. Uh, that was 2020. So COVID. I, well, it was like, I think almost three years ago now. Yeah. Um, I was a witch. Probably the earliest I can date it was like 2015. Okay. I sometimes think 2014, but I'm not sure. What would you have labeled yourself back then? I said I was a pagan. Okay. Because it was easier to explain to people in high school that I was a pagan than I was a witch. And then in college, I was like, yeah, I'm a witch. And then I got online and I'm like, I'm a pagan witch. And everyone was like, what? Um, And now I don't necessarily identify as a pagan because paganism, I don't know. It's hard to explain. What I do, I work with pagan gods, but because of my work with the saints, I don't feel, I feel more like my religion is like folk religion. Yeah. It's definitely like not something I usually hear a lot of that combined with the saints. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're either like Catholic and you're into the saints, but you're not, you know, talking about pagan deities. And, and I, I want to talk about your book. This is, um, almost finished it. So I love the artwork in this book. I just really Thank love you. it. I, somebody coming and saying, it's okay, let me, let me sit down and, and talk mm-hmm. about this in a way you can understand it and feel like you can do this. It's welcoming. It's not, it's not a gatekeeping book, which I found very refreshing. And Thank it's you. called uh, Spells for Change, A Guide for Modern Witches. But I do, I love how you bring in atheists into this, but, and I'm confused in that, and we'll get to that. But in this book, as I'm reading it, do you find that there is a community of people who might consider themselves pagan or witches that don't necessarily agree with your approach or feel oh, like, yes. like, do you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, tell me about um, that. Witchcraft is such a large term now. So under witchcraft, we have like so many different approaches to spirituality, philosophy, religion. And the important thing is that witchcraft isn't always, witchcraft isn't a religion. It's a practice. So you can have any religion with it. And that's my argument. And that's always my argument. And people will disagree with that. I say you can be a Christian witch and people are like, no, you can't. And I'm like, what about folk magic, guys? Um, and that's my kind of argument is that Christian Christianity and magic has always existed. And whether someone wants to call themselves a witch or not, that's their decision. It's not mine. And there's so many, like, I know so many different pagan witches 
I know witches who are more kind of folk practitioners than witches, but call themselves witches online. Um, I know Wiccans, uh, which is a very specific religion, and some people are also witches as well as Wiccans. Some people are just Wiccan. I do know a lot of um, agnostic or atheist witches who approach their magic from a standpoint of if they're going to call on a deity or they just don't work with a deity at all. But if they call on a deity, they see it as like, this is the best way to go about it. Yeah, I get that um, a lot, especially when I was reading this and and I've been reading other stuff, even with tarot, that it's mostly about intention and getting, and it's no different than, meditation and having intentions and focusing on something specific. And it doesn't have to be an actual spirit. If you're Mm -hmm. atheist or agnostic, you might just look at it that way. And I think all the things like crystals, the herbs, they kind of just help somebody who doesn't necessarily believe in the spiritual part of it, but they do have this sort of inner spirituality that helps them focus. These little mm-hmm. items help them focus. So I, yeah. I found that fascinating in your book that it's very inclusive. Um, but Thank I definitely you. understand why a Christian witch feels like a contradiction just because of the history, right? The mm-hmm. Christianity has so much, and I can see why people who are heavily into that would find it offensive almost that we have something that has caused the witches a lot of grief throughout history. And now we're trying to put those things together. Do you use the Bible at all? Is there any type of that in your practice? I do not. Surprisingly, I um, go straight to St. Prayers and Novenas. I don't read the Bible because it was to me written by men. And I don't think it's gospel. I think it's an, a story we can analyze just like every other form of mythos or folklore. Now, do you believe in Jesus? I think he exists. I don't talk to him. I'm he, it's like kind of, I don't believe he's the second coming of God. Okay. Or maybe I do. I don't know. I'm when I pray, I say, are like whole the father, the son, the Holy spirit. So he's kind of included in that, but I guess Jesus is technically a saint. You can talk to, I just haven't done any work with him. Right. So you would see it as like a, maybe a prophet like the, in Islamic, uh, he is a prophet. They believe in Mm -hmm. Jesus. Um, but I'm just curious where the Catholic, like, I almost want to feel like it's it's a pagan Catholicism, you know, because yes. you're you're taking the saints and putting them in this sort of same world as, you know, Diana or, mm-hmm. you know, Apollo or any of these gods. I would say it ends kind of with the saints. I start with the saints and I end with the saints. And people ask me all the time, they're like, well, you do, do you believe in the Christian God? And I go, I think he exists, but I don't talk to him because I don't, he's not my God. I approach the saints as spirits who can help me with things. Um, now, are they, they the are, traditional things like St. Anthony's going to help you find stuff? 
Is that oh, where yeah. you're I talked getting- to I talked to St. Anthony whenever okay. I lose anything. <laughs> <laughs> I also call on them for like spells. I have like a spell going right now with St. Peter. And that's something you see a lot in folk Catholicism is prayers and spells, yeah. the kind of folk magic going hand in hand. Well, I think – You won't – I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, uh, sorry. Go I was ahead. just going to say I think that in, in Catholicism that became a problem. Uh, um, there was oh, yeah. a lot of attention put on Mary. There's a lot of attention mm-hmm. that was put on saints. And hardcore Christians will say you're, you're like going the wrong way here like praying to Mary and all this. But it made sense to me, um, not as a Catholic, but as a, just researching stuff, is that even though we have this monotheistic God with the Son, we still needed a goddess. And Mary yes. became that. In that the is ca- very, yes. That is the big thing. Yes. And I know so many folk Catholic practitioners who treat Mary as a goddess. Yes. And I personally see her as another version of Diana, as well as another version of Isis, Demeter, any kind of God that was present in Italy, there is an epithet or an apparition of Mary that was syncretized with that goddess. Um, There is Our Lady of the Woods, which was a apparition of Mary that was found miles away from Diana's original like cult site at Nemi. Mm -hmm. And it makes no sense because Mary has never represented the woods. Mary has never kind of been the forest. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Someone found Diana and said, we need a Mary up, but we need a Mary operation for this. Yes. When you're watching a movie, do you get offended at the portrayal of witches or are you just like, whatever? Or, and do you have a favorite movie with witches? Great question. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. I think that a lot of witch movies are more kind of anti-Semitic than anti-witch. When we think of like Road Dolls, the witches, um, the portrayal of the witches in that movie specifically is operating off of anti-Semitic tropes, which a lot of um, witch kind of portraits or ideas of witches came from anti-Semitism. Yeah. And sometimes I'm just like, oh, this is like awfully anti-Semitic because <laughs> I'm not going to be harmed by this movie, but a Jewish person might. Yes. Um, the Which, only movie just want to pause. Oh, there is a book. I don't know if you ever read this, but it's by Elaine Pagels. No, I'm going to write it down. This book is so good. And it talks about exactly what you're talking about, how Satan Basically, there's so much anti-Semitism. Uh, I just got to read this book. It's amazing. But it's the same thing that that a lot of things, not only um, uh, witches, but devils were used Mm to uh, demonize uh, Jewish people. Yeah, Yeah, for ages. I don't think people understand how anti-Semitic a lot of like our world is, to be honest. Um. But going into the the movie, we were get, we were oh, trying yeah. to um, most of them when they're anti-Semitic, totally get that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's offensive. But if they're portraying a witch as evil, that doesn't bother you. Oh, that bothers me a little bit. I think the one I watched recently was The Devil Made Me Do It, which was like the latest Conjuring movie. Yeah, I turned and that off. It was so bad. It was so bad. Yeah. And I, I like the Conjuring movies. I do like the Conjuring yes. movies. That one too. was 
What was I don't know what they were thinking. <laughs> I'm like halfway through it and I'm like, oh, are they painting a witch as the bad guy? And then I'm at the end of it, I'm like, oh sweet Jesus, this is like every horror movie from the 90s to the 2000s was like, witches are bad. It's not original. It's very tired. And it's not a. It's just stupid. All right, let me go um, down some some things I want to find out. Sabrina, uh, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. I actually liked that. It I, was a little kind of dramatic, not in, incredibly accurate, but there were certain aspects of it that I was watching it, and I'm like, oh, it's really funny how they brought this in because I am aware of it as a witch. Like they had like a bunch of pagans show up at one point, and I was like. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I love that show. I love the comic too. Well, what about Harry Potter and magic? Oh God. The worst thing, the worst thing happened for magic because now really one. Yes. One of the worst, because not only is JK Rowling awful. Well, yeah, she (laughs) you have to separate her at this point. Yeah. Like the fans don't even consider she wasn't even in that uh, reunion thing they did. Oh yeah, they uh they I think they kicked her out or something. Yeah, she's but done. I was like, Hermione's here. Everyone, because it's so popular, everyone sees Harry Potter and sees this magical fantasy kind of realm. And then meets a real witch and thinks that this real witch thinks they're doing Harry Potter stuff. The amount of comments I've gotten that are like, this isn't Harry Potter. And I'm like, I'm not trying to make it Harry Potter. It's not Harry Potter. But it was so popular that it influenced a lot of people's perceptions of magic and witchcraft. I also get a lot of questions that are like, so are male witches called wizards? And I'm like, no. What about warlocks? Do they call no, them warlocks? Not that. They just say witches. Yeah. Some people argue for the warlock title. Um, but everyone I know just uses the term witch. Right. I think people see movies or TVs about witchcraft and having something happen because of some gem they had or some herb mm-hmm. or they did some spell or they just read something in a book. Mm-hmm. How possible is that for me to just accidentally come across a a phrase and say it and all of a sudden <laughs> shit starts to happen? <laughs> My take is that if the intention isn't there, it's not going to work. Okay, that's what I wanted like to hear. like you said, intention is important. Right. And so when we have spells, there are a couple parts to it. There's like the intention or the goal, maybe some materials, and then the actual action you're taking to help the spell along. And that's the thing a lot of people don't realize about spells is that if you do a spell to get a job, but you don't actually do any job applications, the likeliness of you getting a job is going to significantly significantly go down. It's almost like, I call it like spiritual just in case type thing. Like if I'm doing something and I feel like I'm doing everything I need to, to make this work in my favor. And I just want the universe in my favor too. I may just like, I'll do a little spell. Um, But a lot of times spells aren't the only thing you can do in order to make something happen. Well, most times. I mean, I would think in everything, I mean, I've never done a spell to get a job, but I've gotten Mm -hmm. jobs. 
right? Yep. So how much percentage do you think the spell helps if we were going to break it down? Ooh, that's a really good question. Thank you. I think it's hard to give it a set percentage because for every practitioner, it's going to be different. There may be some people that feel like they did a spell and the spell was the only thing they did and it is what helped and what got them what where they needed to be. There are going to be people like me where sometimes I just do spells for like my mental thing. Like I'm like, I just want to make sure this goes correctly. Do I know that if I didn't do the spell, I may have also ended up with the same outcome? Yes. But for me, it's like insurance. It's like just in case it doesn't go the way I planned, this is the thing that's going to help me. In all movies, when it comes to spells and witchcraft, love potions or love spells. How, how is this something that is okay because what is the other person's – because, you know, when we're talking film or we're talking mm-hmm. books or anything like this, it is basically taking the free will away from that person when they all of a sudden have this thing. That's not true, right? That's This is all made up? Is that – like a love so, spell doesn't influence somebody to love you or does it? It can if you do it right. So I'm going to rely a little bit on both my understanding of folk magic and – other practitioners that I've talked to within kind of Bruhari and Hoodoo because love spells originate in like Bruharia, which is um, the like Mexican folk magic or South America, like South American folk magic. A lot of times when love spells are done by someone, it is because there is no other choice. And I know that sounds weird, but like baneful magic, sometimes that love spell would mean the difference between life or death or financial stability and non-financial stability for someone. So for example, uh, someone realizes their partner is cheating and their entire financial income is from their husband. They go to a bruja, they go to a bruja or a brujo and say, I need to make sure he stays because if he leaves me, I have nothing. They do the love spell to make him stay. And that person is then not out on the street. It totally functions within the cultural context of how reliant the like marriage is, the power dynamics. So in Italian folk magic, we have a love spell where you put your like menstrual blood in someone's drink, which is gross, but in Italy, especially like 20 years ago, if you were a woman and you lost your husband, you were kind of fucked. Like there wasn't much you could do. You couldn't necessarily work. And so throughout history, when we look at the kind of patriarchal standards and sometimes the life or death situations that a lot of uh, witches and women faced, The love spell makes sense because if you have the choice between a love spell to make him stay and going hungry, you're going to choose the love spell to make him stay. Right. So when we look at love magic, we have to understand kind of the cultural context of its origin. So in my opinion, oh, go ahead. I get that because women, even even today, I mean, there's a lot women, but throughout history, yes, it's been a raw deal. But 
is it possible for someone, and this is kind of, I guess it would be considered baneful, mm-hmm. uh, absolutely, but let's say there's somebody who's an abuser and somebody who's a woman wants to get out of that marriage and they want to make a spell to keep them so they stay. Is that possible or is it not? Uh, th- that's the thing. Like, how, where, where do we draw a line and is this stuff possible? So I'm going to once again operate from context. If the person's abusive and is doing the spell to keep someone there, we see that in the light of that's bad. Yes. Something done out of necessity for survival to me is never bad. Right. I don't see an abuser forcing someone to stay as necessity. I see that as manipulation. So you're saying that that intent, which is manipulation, kind of fizzles once it gets into the realm of actually making it happen? Depends. I know of people who've had situations where someone was banefully hexing them a lot and genuinely for no reason, like just because they didn't like them. And so the question really depends on the practitioner, because for me, I think if you're doing a spell for a petty reason, that intention isn't going to be strong in the first place. Okay. But there are other people who say that if the spell kind of goes, it's going to go no matter what, which is why like we protect and do protection and why I put so much emphasis on protection is because you never know who's going to try to like throw something your way. You never know if someone who like, especially with me being online, if someone sees my content and feels like I've slighted them, I got it. Yeah, they can throw something at me. I had to ask, um, I was going to ask this anyway, but you brought it up. I know on TikTok, and I, I have a, a good following, but not like mm-hmm. you have. And you know, anybody who, I'm sure you get this question every time people find out how many followers you have, how can I do that? And I'm like, well, first of all, can you handle being told the most awful things, meanest stuff all the time? Because if you can't handle that, don't even waste your time. Like, I don't, I, I, I just, it just washes off. Um, I, and I'm older, so I get age ageism like mm-hmm. all the time on TikTok. But as a woman, you're going to get just that makes you a target. Um, Then being a witch makes you a target. Uh, So that has happened because I've had people who are the same way. Don't mess with me. I'm a witch. I'll hex you. Like, (laughs) I'm sorry. That makes me laugh every fucking time. But have you gotten that? You've had to. Yeah. So I... I'm gender fluid. So I sometimes identify as a woman, sometimes not, but I am woman presenting. I look right. very feminine. Yeah, it's bad. It's like <laughs> TikTok, especially, I've had to strengthen my boundaries with the app. I basically post and I log off. Yes. Um, I don't look at comments. I don't engage as much with the community anymore because TikTok is like TikToksic. Nasty. Yeah. It is downright like sometimes I see comments and I'm like oh my god why would you even say this to someone right it's like no filter no like morals and I think TikTok is a microcosm of like a lot of pent-up anger and a lot of pent-up frustration 
from a lot of different places and people realize they can be anonymous and they use that. Uh, but I've also um, noticed, and I don't know if you've seen this, that when you start out, it's not so bad. Everybody's like, oh, I love you. You're, so you're. But then once you get to a certain number, you're no longer a human. You are just able to be targeted no matter what because oh, of yeah. that number. Uh, I don't think people see me necessarily as a human. Right. I think people see me as a creator and I work really hard to show that kind of humanness on my platform, but there's also a level of, I have to run my business and yeah. on TikTok, I'm not Frankie. I am chaotic with and chaotic with is a business and an author and a content creator as well as a human being. Yeah. <laughs> um, so and have you performed pro- protection spells because of this TikTok? I have so many protection spells. It is obscene. If I could count them, I have at least seven, maybe more. Wow. That I started doing in 2020 and I've just continued doing. Um, and that's because I have like kind of, I didn't have a huge need for protection when I was like just me by myself in my room. And of course we have like the idea of the evil eye and Italian folk magic, which Uh that can be thrown by non-witches. That can be unintentional. But the more intense things, like someone throwing a curse at you or a jinx at you, that is specific to like, you probably have to be a little bit witchy to do that. The biggest protection I ever have and that I have done is the boundaries I set with the app because I noticed how mentally I was being affected and creatively I was being affected by being on the app for too long. So what does it look like when you're creating a spell? What is that process like? It used to be a lot of planning. Now I'm like, all right, I'm going to say, I'm going to take a candle. I'm going to throw some oil on it. I may like put something around on my little like fireproof plate and I actually will either do a prayer if I need a specific saint's help for that spell or I will pray pray the rosary like multiple times while the candle is burning down because I work heavily with Saint Mary so I'm like going through and naming uh, apparitions of Mary on each uh, bead where you would say the miracle Mm -hmm. or the event and for me, I try, I'm trying to incorporate the moon more. It's going okay. <laughs> I am not good at remembering moon cycles. <laughs> um, There's an app for really, that. I, there is an app for that. Yes. I, I love that app. I have it on my phone. <laughs> um, I used to be very specific with these are the herbs I need. These are the crystals I need. This has associations with this. And now because I work so heavily with like my ancestors and deities I start off with a little prayer of like ancestors help me create this guide my hands and then I just kind of start throwing things in there and what ends up happening is I will work with plants that I really resonate with whose spirits I resonate with because I'm an animist so all plants have spirits um I'll incorporate herbs and plants that I really connect with that I think may be beneficial to the spell. I'll work with an oil that I really have found a lot of success with or a powder I found success with. And I work a lot with bones or animal remains as well as kind of prayers and saints. 
So maybe I'll throw some porcupine quills in there because I love working with the spirit of the porcupine. Or I'll take some bones from a specific animal that I really connect with well and ask for their help. So like I where were we getting these bones? Like are we I talking about chicken bones or you have a bone source? Oh, no. I go to my local metaphysical store. Oh. <laughs> um, and they have a lot of like deer hooves, porcupine quills, etc. I also So porcupine them- quills is an actual like thing that metaphysical stores have? Because to me, like how do you know like you're getting into this and how are you aware? Do you have to research this? Or I mean, because I would never guess a porcupine quill is something I'm going to be needing it for my craft. Porcupine quills are great because the porcupine itself is like a symbol of protection and boundaries. So if you need a really powerful protection spell or you just want to carve a candle for protection, bring in a porcupine quill. Wow. I love them. Um, they're also like really handy for getting threads back into masks. So if you have a mask and like the thread pulled out, you can stick it back in. I like using my tools for also very mundane things. Have you ever hurt yourself with a porcupine quill? Oh yeah. I was, um, if I'm using African porcupine quills, they are bigger and not as pointy, but I got American porcupine quills and I tried to grab one out of my tiny little jar oh. and it just kind of stuck. Oh. And so I was like, oh, okay. Wow. Um, that's the thing is like the big thing of witchcraft is I think that it's very mystifying when you don't know anything about it. But in reality, it's just a way that I live my life. What and about- at the end of the day, that's just not that cool. I'm just like sticking myself with porcupine. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds cool because it sounds like a lot of fun stuff. Uh, what about backfiring? Like, what if you're starting out and you do a spell? Can you actually screw it up enough that something backfires on you? I and about this. and then also, um, you talked about people putting hexes and baneful magic. Is it true that we hear in the movies that like whatever you do is coming back at you threefold? Two very good questions. All right, love that. The threefold law originated from Wicca. When we look at like folk magic. That doesn't exist. There are superstitions and different folk magics about how you treat people or what you say. Um, like, for example, in Italian folk magic, it's very much don't give compliments and don't mean because you'll accidentally give someone the evil eye. Ooh. Don't look at people out of envy or jealousy because you may give someone the evil eye. We have an entire story about breast milk being stolen and like, the guy looks at the nursing woman's breast with envy and then he's walking down the street and then his breast filled with milk and he has to go back to the pregnant woman and say, I am so sorry, please take your milk back. <laughs> um, but in certain, and that's Italian folk magic, but in hoodoo and in brujeria, we talk through like necessity because Italian folk magic wasn't, out of necessity in the same way hoodoo was, which it literally came from African-American slaves. Yes. Um, so the threefold law is a very new concept. Its idea is kind of because Gerald Gardner stole the stuff. It's watered down a bit from the Hindu idea of karma or the Dharmic faith idea of karma. But when you look at the threefold law and then how karma operates in dharmic faiths, they're not the same. 
And it's very much influenced by, you know, caste system and a lot more nuance than we see in the kind of Wiccan threefold law. Right. Wiccan threefold law is like, I personally, because it's used so much against people of color who baneful magic and love magic has been a part of the tradition longer than I've been alive, longer than maybe you've been alive as well. It's been there for a long time. Right. I personally don't like when someone kind of throws that out there, but I understand the misconception. And I mean specifically like witches telling other witches what to do. Right. Not you asking me a question. No, no, I get it. Um, and then your first question. It you was about it was backfiring yet? on you. Can a, can a spell backfire? Yes. I did a YouTube video about this last week. My first backfire and my only backfire was when I tried to do a curse on someone when I was 17, 18. It was a friend who had treated me badly. I hung the curse outside my window. And one day I opened the window and I just watched the lemon roll down into the, my parents' gutter, into the gutter of my house. Okay. And that lemon, with all of my hurt, all of my anger, all of my gross things in it, sat in that gutter for like four or five years. And my family still blames me for everything that happened in those four or five years. Because so much bad shit happened. And... It was probably because I just didn't dispose of this thing properly. As soon as I pulled it out of the gutter and set it on fire, a bunch of things, a bunch of good things happened within a matter of a month. But so did you not know this was going? It's four or five years. Like you, I know. Were you not like, maybe I should get up and get that? I know. I told my mom, I went to college. And my mom's like, my parents are like, hey, there's a curse in the gutter. You should take it to the crossroads. You should take care of that. What the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) Um, Oh, my God. That's too funny. And then for a while, it, like, had decomposed and we didn't know where it was. And then my mom pulled it out in 2020 and set it on the ground. And then it spread to the world and we had a pandemic. Oh, God. No. It was after (laughs) the pandemic. (laughs) But in talking about spell backfires, I always kind of say, is this spell backfiring or is it an outcome you didn't expect? Because I did like a petition to St. Joseph to help me with something recently and he didn't help me. And I'm like, well, that was a backfire. That didn't work. Turns out it was just an outcome I wasn't expecting that ended up being okay later. Uh. A backfire to me is when something when like shit starts getting messed up right and i find it's more prevalent with spells that kind of have a higher risk with it like if you do a protection spell a backfire is probably going to look like eh, it didn't work right or like maybe it manifests in a way you didn't expect um more often than not my spells have outcomes i didn't expect like i'll do a spell to help me do something with TikTok or Instagram. And then what will end up happening is I just am not worried about it as much. I'm not as focused on it. So like it worked, but is that a backfire? Is that an outcome I didn't expect? Yeah. Really depends on the witch. How much of your success on TikTok and your book and everything do you owe to spells and witchcraft? Mm. 
Not as much as I thought it would be. <laughs> I had some kind of like, I guess I did some spells. I had some manifestations that I set in 2020 that I think are still kind of coming true. But I surprisingly did not do a lot of spells to push the TikTok algorithm. And also I've tried that. It doesn't work because oh. TikTok is so finicky. Yeah, there's done, no rhyme or reason to it. The Did the growth, was it gradual or did you have a hit video that threw you into the... I had several hit videos. Okay. In 2020 to 2021, that was kind of the peak, like witchcraft was getting quote unquote big and trendy. And since then, all of 2022, it's kind of petered off. Mm-hmm. So... Because of that, I'm focusing on like YouTube and Instagram, where where I also have community and like a following and growing there. Because TikTok is so unstable, unreliable, all of these words work. Yeah. And so are you working on another book or something else? I am. I'm trying to... I think I just finished like getting the title set and talking to my publisher about that, but it's going to take a while to write. So I'm thinking like it won't be out to like 2024 at this point, which isn't bad. Can, can you talk about what it might be about or, or um, is it secret? It's okay if it is. Secret for now. Okay. Because I have that superstition about don't say talk about a project before. Yes, yeah, so I, I have the same out. thing. You're right. You, you're letting yeah. that energy out. No, don't do that. Oh, yeah. yeah. I have it under wraps. People are like, tell me what it's about. And I'm like, no. I need to make sure everything is set before I say anything. So were you approached to write a book or did you reach out? First, when I was approached, um, because of my platform and I was really lucky that I had a lot of say in what was in the book. I had full creative like agency um, past the title. The title they kind of helped me choose, but I did end up really liking it. Yeah. Um, This book, I went back to my original publisher and pitched it to them with a proposal. So all like mine full creative agency came up with the idea um with like myself with the help with a couple of friends because i was like i don't know what to write my friend's like why don't you do this and i'm like so yeah i'm curious about that because it says originally published in the uk yes my (laughs) public my original public original publisher is orion spring in the uk and then it got moved to the u.s with a later um debut with andrew mcneil so I'm trying for the second book to not have a six-month time between UK release and US release. I see. Okay. I'm trying to see if I can get everything everywhere all at once. Um, but that was kind of one of the weird things about the publishing process for me is that I was in the UK first, even though I'm a US author. All right. So did you – so your first book, so when you're approached and you're about to write this book, I, was that scary for you? I thought it was a scam. Really? First. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I showed my mom the email. My mom's like, are yeah. you sure they're not trying to scam you? Um, 
very nervous. I had a lot of help from friends who peer reviewed it. I did a lot of research because I wanted it to be right. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, even though I disagree with some of the things I wrote, I still am really proud of it as my first book. As my first book, I'm like, this is it. This was the perfect first book for me to write. Um, and the reception has been like better than I expected, which is great. I'm like, nice. I did it. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's very impressive. Thank yeah, you. definitely. <laughs> and it's fun because it's like, uh, like I said, like getting into it. I know very basic stuff, but reading this, it makes me feel a little bit more like someone's holding my hand saying, Hey, you can do this. And here's why, what yeah. you need to know. So it is great. I think it's also like if you get better, it's a great reference too. Because yeah. there's no way I'm going to remember all that stuff. Like I'm looking at this, I'm like, yeah. wow, I can't remember every one of these herbs and crystals and rocks and, you know. Don't worry about remembering herbs and crystals. I don't know like hundreds of them. I have to like do Google searches on my phone before spells. I'm like, is this associated with this? Yeah, it's a lot to, it's a lot to remember. So yeah. like, yeah, I'm glad that I can just always reference the book. All right. Well, is there anything else you want to talk about before we go? No, I nothing think else you everything. got to promote. Thank you so much for having oh me. Oh my God. No, thanks so much for coming on. It's been a blast talking to you. So, but again, I appreciate it. Great book and keep doing what you're doing. And uh, Thank you. don't hex me. <laughs> I'm not going to you. Don't worry. I don't, I'm like, so I'm so busy with work stuff. I'm like, I don't have time. Yeah. Right. Even if you did something awful to me, I'm like, Ugh. you got to get like, no like assistant witches that you can be like, I <laughs> <laughs> can do the hexes for you or, or the spells. Wait, that's so funny. I'm that's so funny and a really good idea. But yeah. I it would don't. be fun. You have your little witch office and, and you're like, all right, who's doing this like, spell? Handle this one. Yep. Thank you. There you go. That's right. All right. Well, thanks again, Frankie. <laughs> Thank you. Have a great rest of your day. <laughs> you too. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Be sure to follow me on TikTok at James Ippolitti. I'll be back in two weeks with a brand new episode. The Real Demons of Pop Culture is a Gorilla Delphia production.